But that to me is the difference is that man showing up in that moment that way was not a fucking accident. He's done years of work to get to that place. That was not that man, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. It's like, you're not just born that way. <laughs> like it takes a lot of work to become a grounded human being and a grounded man. Welcome back to another episode, fan favorite girl talk. So excited to have my girlfriends with me for this one. Um, So today we're talking about what makes a man trustable. And in this episode, we're focusing specifically on dating relationships, dating and relationship relationships, romantic relationships. We recognize that there are lots of ways uh, that men can show up as trustable in our lives. And this is just the frame that we're choosing for this particular topic. So we're going to start the way that we usually do. We'll just go around and say our name, our rough age, our relationship status, zero to 10. And wildcard question is where do you want to go for a weekend getaway? And this is a, this is a money is no object type thing. Just like your, your desire in this moment for a weekend getaway, as we know, we are the feminine, we are changeable. So it doesn't need to be locked in, but who would like to start? I'll start. I'm Violet and my relationship status is 10 out of 10. I'm in a beautiful partnership with, with my husband, Jason. And I have been craving something all-inclusive, like take me to Cabo, give me as much chips and guac and margaritas as I can have and just roll me out by the pool. And I just want to be completely pampered and not have to think about anything. Love it. Thank you. I will go. My name is Amber and I am about an eight on the relationship scale. Just had my 40th birthday. Um, And my weekend getaway is anywhere with lots of sunshine and good food. Um, So yeah, that, that could be, it could, honestly, it could be cold. It could be hot, but just like sunshine, beauty, delicious food, kind of all I need. Love it. I'll go. My name is Mel. I'm also 40 and I would say my relationship status at the moment is six, six, six and a half. And I, right now, my ideal weekend getaway would be somewhere with beautiful nature where I could go hiking during the day and sit in hot springs at night. Hey, I'm Christina. Um, I'm single, so I'm not sure what the number is on my relationship status. Um, uh, with myself, my relationship was a 10. Um, we'll say that. And um, and with my, my tribe, where I would like to go is um, Maui. And I would like to have, like, have all the things, the fresh fruit, the just color, color of the landscape, beautiful flowers, birds of paradise, um, really nice swimsuit and a clothing optional beach. 
Oh, I love that you threw that in there. I think we could just combine the endless margaritas with the um, yeah. <laughs> the clothing optional beach. <laughs> it's a party. So yeah, so today we're talking about what makes a man trustable. And we're going to structure this similar to how we've done other girl talks. There are many traits that make a person trustable. And I just want to preface this by saying, we are just four women sharing our experience. This isn't the be all end all. I know that we all know that I'm just naming that. This is our lived experience of what makes a man trustable to us. And we've each um, sort of done our homework here. So we're coming to the table with two traits, the top two traits that for us make a man trustable. And we're each going to share those traits and then give an example of when a man did not display that trait and what, what our experience was. And then when, when a man did. So, um, yeah. Uh, who wants to start? Who has, who has theirs? One with them ready. I will start. This is maybe not universal, <laughs> but for me, when a man expands me versus minimizes me, So I dated someone who I told about my experience with sexual abuse and he was like, oh, well, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Like he completely shut down my experience and minimized my experience. And that was the last straw. Like we stopped dating within a week after that. And there were other things he would dismiss or kind of minimize about me. But then a different example is my husband, Jason, we had a pregnancy scare like four or five months into dating where we weren't pregnant, but I was a few days late and I was paranoid and he and I were both stressed about it. Although I was probably, you know, he was more stressed. He wasn't quite ready for that. But what I appreciated is that he didn't put down my desire to have a child. And he, in fact, like a week later, bought me a fertility tracker and said, I will put a baby in you, but I want us to plan it out. So it was just so romantic to me that he expanded my vision and he was in for my vision instead of dismissing my worries about the scare or, um, you know, desire to get pregnant. There's something really lovely about that word expanding. And I, you know, I think the, the first example of minimizing or shutting down your experience about sexual abuse is horrifying actually. And I think that that's a really good example of a place where a man can slow down, choose to slow down and say, tell me more, tell me what's happening for you. I want to know you. I want to know everything about you. And that feels like to me, my version of expansion is when a man slows down and wants to know more about me. I feel expansive. I feel expanded rather than I think I already know you, or I'm going to shut down your experience, or I don't really want to hear your experience, which is a little bit of what I heard in that. Thank you. Can I add something to that? When Um, I, yeah, like I hadn't thought of that in terms of a trustability quality, but it makes a lot of sense. Cause I have, you know, I'm thinking back to like having also when a man expands my own vision of what I want to create in the world, the work I'm doing in the world, the, the force I am in the world and stand instead of taking over or giving advice or trying to direct, but just kind of, um, like holds that space, but then uh, reaches into either his own strength or his own connection and 
and says, I can do, I can also add this piece. I also know other people who can add this piece and, and to kind of like build that momentum for you. And that for me feels like such masculine support. I love that. What I hear in that is providing, right? Providing, I hear your dream and I up you this other supportive thing. (laughs) I feel like men may not always realize that when a man minimizes or dismisses our experience, our feelings, our desires, our vision, it feels like he's cutting us down. You know, it's not just an insult about whatever our character it's, it's like my desire is myself. So I want to be seen in that. And my feelings and my experience are myself. So uh, thank you for Christina, for adding that on about the vision piece. I, that feels so good. Yeah. So I, I can share, I have two and I think I'm actually going to start with the, the lesser of the two (laughs) still very important, but not my sort of number one, just going to build some suspense. Um, one, this is going to sound, I think this might sound obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. One thing I find very trustable about a man is when he does what he says he's going to do. So consistency, follow through, just basic doing what you say you're going to do is a really big indication to me of maturity, level of maturity, level of consciousness. So an example is I, there was, there was a man who, um, what was going to help me with my windshield wiper It wasn't working. I needed to replace it. And I wasn't very confident about that. And he had some experience with cars and, And anyway, and there was sort of like a, oh yeah, we'll get to it eventually. And I was like, I'd really like to do it today because it's going to rain soon. And it was sort of like, yeah, yeah, we can get to it today. And, and we didn't slash he didn't. And it wasn't a big deal. And the reason I'm bringing it up is I didn't feel hugely dropped, but what I noticed was I felt less, what's the word? I just lost trust. I lost trust in him and his ability to provide for me. That's basically the truth. I thought I lost trust in his ability to provide for me. And it felt like, I don't know if I'd say I felt minimized, but I felt more like alone. It had me feeling alone. Like I have to do it all myself is one of my limiting core beliefs. And I think it touched on that. I'm never going to be supported. No one's going to be there for me. Sort of like those stories and didn't feel, um, yeah, there was just something about that, especially the energy of, of punting, right. Of like, Oh, we'll get to that. Eventually we'll get to that later rather than just like, let's handle it. This will only take 10 minutes. Let's do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to provide this for you. And that would have felt a lot better. And then, um, in terms of uh, a man doing what he said he would do, um, yeah, there was a man who invited me to go hiking and I, and he was like, is there anywhere you've been wanting to go in this area? And I named a place and he said, do you know any trails there? And I said, no, I was like really busy at the time. I was like, no, I don't, I don't actually, I just know the zone I want to go in. I don't have a thing. And he said, okay, I'll look up a trail and get back to you. 
And it was either later that day or the next day. He said, I found one. This is where we're going to meet or I'll pick you up. I can't remember the details, but like, I'll pick you up at this time. And this is where we're going. And I felt my whole body relax. Like, great. You know, you did what you said you were going to do. You picked out a spot for us. You have a plan. I get to just show up (laughs) to this thing that you've created for us. And it felt really relaxing. And it had me feel like, oh, this is someone I can trust. This is someone, this is a connection I can lean into. And I think that's something I've noticed about trustability is it's in the little moments. It's actually in the little moments and the big moments, but those little moments of someone saying they're going to do something and doing it many times in a row builds my trust. So it's not just one and done. It's, it's consistent and it's like a deepening of relaxing in my body around that man. Like, Oh wow. Like every time it's sort of like, I can relax a little more. I can relax a little more. I can relax a little more. And I think that that, you know, on an esoteric level, has me more sexually available to that man. It feels more like I can deeply relax sexually with him. And I think that's something that, yeah, is not necessarily noticed or talked about a lot in terms of this conversation, but it's something I feel like I, it's true for me. Yeah, that's true for me. What I love about that Mel is it feels like in the first example, you were tracking something, you were tracking the windshield wipers and you were tracking, tracking it all day. Because he wasn't tracking it. He kept putting it off and you could feel that in your body versus it sounds like the second example, you don't have to track anything. You just pointed towards a direction of what you wanted to do. And they picked up the rest. And I know for myself, when I'm tracking things, it just takes so much energy. And I don't know if that's a feminine masculine thing or just a human thing, but it is so nourishing to our nervous systems. I'll speak for all women when the man is tracking the things like it allows me to feel like I have more space to love and be in my emotions and to be in a devotional space versus that, like, uh, you know, managing all the details space. That's a great point. I think it did put me in my masculine and it also wasn't that safe. Part of the reason I wanted to change the windshield wipers because when it rains, I can't see as well. So I was tracking safety and just, you know, desire to see, but there's a piece of, yeah, also tracking my safety and the safety of anyone in my vehicle at that time. Um, I'll share. Um, So the first thing that came to mind was... um, being in touch with their own heart and mind and intentions. Um, And I think this is especially true in my experience with younger men (laughs) that they may not even be aware of how far apart they are from what they really want, what they really need. Um, So to give a a not great example, I, I actually just the other day found this message that I sent to this guy that I was sort of in a fledgling relationship with. And he kind of pretty early on was like professing his, you know, love and wanted to get married and have kids and this and that. And at first I doubted it a lot, but the more he said it, the more I started to buy in and the more I started to kind of fall for him. And then he withdrew completely. And what I found, obviously I never trusted him again, but it wasn't about that he changed his mind. It was that he, he seemed to not understand his own intentions. And, um, 
uh, long story short, I basically found an email that I sent him saying that I was going to unfriend him on like social media. And it wasn't like a disdainful or reactive kind of thing. I just didn't feel like seeing, um, seeing sort of these behavioral traits of his that seemed to be very common, I didn't feel like that was mentally healthy for me. So like I'd seen somebody post on his wall, something like, why do you act like you're, you're in a, into something and then back away. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is just something he does. He clearly is, is completely out of touch with what he, th- what he wants versus what he thinks he wants. Um, as compared to, for example, my current partner who, on our first date told me that he was divorced and it was because he wanted children and his, and his wife didn't. And that could be an overshare on a first date, but it was, a, it was a long first date. It was a deep conversation. It was appropriate at the time. And it is incredibly true. And like everything he told me at that time. So for, for example, when we've talked about having children or, you know, f- fertility concerns or whatever, it still tracks because he was so in touch with I do want children. It's it's not that I have to have children, but I want somebody that's open to it. And he continues to repeat that message. And that makes me feel incredibly safe and that I can absolutely trust him at what he says and at what he expresses because he's so in touch with his own feelings about it. I want to echo that, especially the hurt involved in when a man says he's really into me and then withdraws like the, the, that experience is terrible. There's something extra terrible about that, that sort of over-promising under-delivering. I know that was a theme that came up today. And I think that's really damaging. And, and part of what really annoys me about it, I don't know about you all, but one thing that really annoys me is you didn't have to say that. You didn't have to go there. You didn't have to promise this stuff. You didn't have to say, like, just don't say it. (laughs) Just don't promise it. Just don't tell me that you're going to change the windshield wiper if you're not going to change it. Like, I, I, you know, it's, it's like, I, I didn't ask for this attention or I didn't ask for this declaration or whatever it is. That was you. You did that. You you declared yourself, and then you dropped me. And that delta is so much worse than if you just didn't say it in the first place. So I, I hear you about the um, him saying it, like him, because I think I rem- I think I know who you're talking about. I'm pretty sure I know the guy you're talking about, and he was pretty convincing, and he was pretty consistent for a while, and it was confusing. It was, it's really confusing to deal with that, um, contrast of a man showing up gung ho and really into it and, and, and then just completely dropping. And I've, I've had my version of that and it was, it was awful. So thanks for speaking to that. And then the nuance of what you're saying or what I'm hearing and what you're saying is that the origin of that is not the man being malicious, but him not knowing himself, not knowing his own desires, his own heart, his own mind. And I'm just going to say this is a little judgy, not taking the time to figure it out, not taking the time mm-hmm. to know himself. And that has a huge impact on then me relating with him, that you didn't take the time to reflect on yourself. You don't, you don't know yourself. So you're out here promising a bunch of shit you can't deliver on. And that hurts. But the origin is not that you wanted to hurt me. It's that you don't know what the hell you want or who you are at, at a deep level. So, and I think we'll, we'll be coming back to that. So, but I, I wanted to, yeah. 
highlight that. No, I think you really, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think like in this example, we met on like a singles weekend. It wasn't really anything but sex. Like there was no need for him to like make these declarations and these promises, but he, for whatever reason, believed that that's what he wanted to do. But as you said, it was because he didn't take the time. I mean, I think it's another version of doing the work. He hadn't take the time, taken the time to do any of the work to know his own heart and to know what he was looking for. And I think some men have this over, like this enthusiasm of, oh, I'm feeling this in the moment. Therefore, it means I must want this woman for the rest of my life or whatever. Right. And and really, it's like that discernment of slowing down and not over promising takes a certain amount of what's the word um, restraint. And I personally find masculine restraint pretty hot. Right. The ability to slow down and not kind of over over promise is sexy. Like I, I think part of when I've noticed the um, themes in romance novels or the versions of them on screen, one of the things I've noticed is that there's often a character, a masculine character who shows restraint. He really, really wants her and he chooses not to go after her for some reason, or he really, really wants her sexually. He chooses not to go all the way for some reason that there, that's a very common theme in women's literature or, and I think it's partly because we, we often find that very attractive, that that man is tracking more than just his own experience in the moment. He's also tracking what, what will that mean? What will, you know, how will she take that? There's, there's, he's holding more than just his own experience in the moment. I'm hearing so many good juicy things in this conversation. (laughs) I haven't taken notes, but one theme I'm hearing is safety. And that when we have, when we feel like we're met in that place where there is complete trust, um, there is this entire soulful nervous system relaxation and a sense of safety, just like a mother being held by her baby. Like I'm a baby, I'm in my mother's arms. I am implicitly trusting I'm not going to be dropped. And One thing we know about women's sexuality is that to have desire, to have arousal, that's a a very probably primary thing that women have to feel safe. And we know this from research. Um, And this conversation, Mel, even has me thinking about a conversation we had earlier about women and orgasm and women having trouble orgasming. And I'm thinking, oh, I maybe should be asking more questions about do they feel really deeply seen and safe in their relationship? Because if I don't feel safe, I don't orgasm. It's my body. It will not go there. Um, can I go ahead and segue into my, yeah, <laughs> so the word that has come up to me a lot this last week, thinking about this And I mean, I'm Capricorn, so I plan and like think I was looking at Brene Brown's anatomy of trust, like, oh, there's seven, she has seven things when she did research on trust. But the the ones that jump out to me are reliability and integrity and congruence. Congruence has really been a, um, a big thing for me lately. Do your words match your actions? And yeah, if there are the words that promise all the things and I'm saying all the things and reinforcing it through poems or songs or doing, you know, building this momentum and building this dream, 
Um, Bob Marley has a quote that, and granted, I think I've heard he was quite um, a womanizer, but he he's quoted in saying um, the most cowardly thing a man can do is open up a woman's heart to love and then drop her. And it's um, when that has happened to me, it's really triggered just complete abandonment and rejection, but also a feeling of being completely uh, irrelevant. Just like an irrelevant uh, dalliance. Um, What... um, I mean, a couple of you guys know, I mean, I've gone through kind of a recent thing where my trust has really been shaken with somebody. And um, what that experience prompted me to do, though, is I reached back to two former flames that I'd had relationships with. And I said, I left them both voice notes. And it was really sweet because they both responded very quickly. And these are guys that maybe normally wouldn't respond so quickly. But I thought, you know, men need to know when they get it right, too. And one thing that as I was looking back over trust and also just, um, I wouldn't say conflict because this recent relationship, there wasn't conflict. Um, But it was the ending did not have um, integrity and um, or respect. And so I reached back to these two guys and I said, you know, the way you ended things with me. um, And I think the first guy, I actually broke up with him and the last guy he broke up with me, but I'm like, we talked, I think at least three times. And there was this um, willingness on the man's part for me to call, for me to need to hash over more things, probably ask the same questions over and over again, trying to understand, trying to get into my body and nervous system, what what was happening, trying to integrate it. And I'm like, you hung in there. You hung in there. And you had a lot of talks with me. And I can remember where, I mean, once we were at a ball field, once we were sitting and I was cleaning out the doors of my dresser and we just sat there as I'm packing and we're talking and it wasn't volatile and it was kind and it was compassionate and you heard me and you were in the mess with me as we were ending and you didn't go away in that. And over the long haul, that built my trust in that person, but also going forward in other relationships. It's like, okay, I feel seen. I feel heard even when I'm hurt or angry and emotional. And um, both of those men really appreciated it. They said it gave them hope. They said it made them feel appreciated that they um, uh, had done something right, which kind of like, like, oh, you know, like how many negative messages they had probably gotten maybe about communicating or being in raw, vulnerable, tender conversations. Um, but that that means a lot to me when a man can hang in there. And even if his choice is, I know this hurts, I'm choosing to leave, but I'm going to stay in this with you until you're at a place where we can part graciously and with dignity. Yeah, I would echo that. I had a closing conversation with a man when I I was exiting the relationship and 
man, he was available. He was available. I said, I, I need to talk to you. Like I can't hold it in anymore. I have to talk to you. And he showed up and I shared all the things and he had space for it. He didn't defend against it. And I wasn't a total bitch about it. I really was, you know, pretty straightforward, but I didn't hold back. I was like, this really hurt when this happened. And then this happened. And and he was really, I could feel that he was taking it in. I could feel that he was listening. I could feel that it was landing somewhere instead of men where I felt like, ooh, there's not really space for that at all. It's like Teflon. It's bouncing right back into my face and it hurts. And it doesn't feel like there's any space for it. And it built a lot of trust in me for him in such a way that we weren't a fit or a match, but I would absolutely recommend him to a girlfriend of mine. I would say this man has integrity. This is a man to date. I would recommend this man. This man knows how to show up because that was a hard conversation. And like you said, Christina, man, he hung in there and that, that is not always the case. So I, I really respect that of not just that those men hung in there, but that it took a couple conversations. They hung in there until you felt complete. It wasn't just like, we already talked. I'm done with this. I'm finished. I, you know, no, it was okay. I'm, I'm, I'm here for this. This is hard. And I'm here for this. Are we on round two? I think we're on round two, right? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to chime in that, um, my second one has kind of already been covered, but I'll just add a tiny bit about that, about the, um, like, I would phrase it transparency. Like if you're not ready for relationship, just tell me you're not ready for relationship. And for me, it's helpful to know why. And granted, not everyone knows themselves that well, but I remember it was in my car talking to someone I had been dating for a few months and I was asking him about Valentine's day, which was coming up in the next few weeks. And he kept being like, well, you know, I just don't think we're there yet. And And he just wouldn't give me a reason why. And it just eroded all of my confidence in the relationship, but also with him. And there has been countless situations with guys where, you know, I ask them about something and they, they just don't give me a straight answer. And in my younger years of dating, I kind of believed what I wanted to hear, whether they said the truth or not. And as I got older, I started listening more to my gut, but you know, as women, we have spidey senses, like don't date a witch and then expect not have her understand what you're, you know, what you're doing. Like don't date someone intuitive and spiritual and then be surprised when she understands that there's something that's incongruent to use Christina's word. Um, versus what I appreciated about Jason was he had said, I'm not ready because I don't feel like I had enough sexual experiences between my last long-term relationship and this one. And that scares me. And here's the, here are my desires that I want to be met in. And, you know, like I didn't necessarily like what he said on our path to exclusivity, but I deeply trusted him because he let me into his inner world and he brought me that transparency. And then we can work with that. Right. But it's when you're holding back your motivations that it just feels icky. Um, but what I wanted to say is, um, another, the, my second one official one is having community, like being surrounded by good men. And I know a good man, it's, you know, different for each person, obviously just like a good woman is, but one of my ex-boyfriends at a birthday party that he had held for one of his friends, one of my friends who I invited over told me afterwards that a guy was groping her butt when we were taking a picture, a group picture. And I was like, what? And so I asked my now ex-boyfriend and he was like, I'll talk to him about it, but I doubt that happened. And then he said that he talked to him about it and that like, no, he doesn't say that happened. And 
I just kind of let it go, which was probably not a good idea. I should have really dug deep on that one, but I just was like, yeah, whatever. You know, he, he has some weirdo friends. I definitely should have listened to my gut more. And like, that was just one of many things that were off compared to when Jason proposed to me, he was, he had a bunch of his friends around because it was kind of an impromptu thing. He wasn't planning on doing it, but a bunch of his friends happened to be there. And one of his guy friends came up behind him while he, after he had proposed to me and put his hand on Jason's back and said, if you ever disrespect this woman, if you ever do anything out of integrity, like we are going to call you on your shit. And it was so hot to feel the man who just proposed to me surrounded by men who are willing to call him out. And the other caveat to this that I just want to share is the person who said that to Jason had been unfaithful to a past partner and his men's group, including Jason had called him out on it and been like, this is not okay. You need to change this. You have to break up with your partner. You have to tell her everything going on. And so the reason I share that is because I don't expect someone's friends to be saints. I don't expect them to be perfect, but I want there to be a common baseline of respect and admiration and integrity. And it's uncomfortable for women to call a man out. It's hard for us. Even if you say, call me on my bullshit, like, patriarchy and, you know, misogyny and just growing up in cultures where we feel silenced as women and family structures, you can tell us that you want us to call us out on your ship, but if you get defensive or you close off, then it's hard for us to want to do that. So I deeply, deeply love when a man is surrounded by men who will call him out because it makes my life easier. And I can trust him that he's surrounded by good community. I don't have to be like, the person kind of watching out for him. I don't want to play that role. I don't want to be anyone's mother. So it just helps my spidey sense, you know, calm down a little bit. And it also helps me. Um, it just helps my nervous system knowing that he's holding me, but someone else is holding like multiple people are holding him and there's integrity in the field. I think that's really beautifully said. And I also think it's a good reflection of how far we are from how we used to live as human beings in the culture we live in, at least in the West, I'm thinking of, you know, isolated people rather than people embedded in a structure where there were elders. And, and you, if you were say starting out in a partnership, there were other people kind of watching you. not in a creepy way, but there was, there was a village, there was a tribe, there was, there were other folks holding you and you as a couple. And so there were, there were elders, there were wise people that were, that were, that had attention on what was happening in, in that situation. And we've lost a lot of that. And so, and I think when people feel isolated in general, but especially when men feel isolated and alone, they, they don't show up as well. Right. And when, when they lose their job or bad things happen, when they feel alone and not resourced that they, they don't show up as well for their partners. They don't show up as well for their children. Right. There's a, there's a cascade effect. That's just a truth in the world versus a man who does have a solid men's group, a man who does have a solid community feels more trustable because he is more trustable because he is also more resourced. He tends to be more resourced and feel less alone in the world. He has people that he knows that know him. It's just a totally different experience of being in the world. And there's a certain inherent, just when you feel isolated and alone, you don't show up in the same way. You just don't. 
I just want to add one other layer, which is that I have a common experience or it feels like a common experience with a lot of other women where we're regulating our partner's emotions because they're not doing their emotional work. And that's not happening in my partnership, but you know, it has off and on and in a lot of my past relationships. So it's like knowing that he has a support group helps him to regulate emotionally, helps him to have those resources and that sounding board. So I'm not doing this hardcore, heavy lifting, emotional processing of the emotions he's not willing to work through. I'm imagining we've all kind of been there. Um, and the other thing that you said about resources just feels so spot on because there's been one very or two very, very tricky points in our relationship. And in both cases, Jason was able to say, I thought I could lead us out of this, but I need someone to lead us out of this, not just me leading us out of this. So he found us a kick-ass couples therapist and he found us a mentor that we could learn from and do shadow work and other things from. So it's like deep in my trust in Jason that he's not afraid to say, this is above my head. I'm too enmeshed with you in this situation. I can't see this clearly enough. And even though I'm the man and I'm supposed to be leading the relationship, I need help for us. So he gets that from his men's group, but he gets that from professionals too. And it just helps me to relax knowing that we can get through anything because, because of that extra layer of resourcing, like you said, and, and humility, I guess, on his part or willingness on his part to be resourced. There's something deeply trustable about what you just pointed to as well, because of the discernment that he had of, I don't know how to lead us out of this. The, like a lot of men, I think would think I should be able to do it. Therefore, I'll just keep powering through. And the the discernment to notice this isn't working. What I'm providing and how I'm leading right now isn't working. I need to bring someone else in or we need to bring someone else in. That in itself is deeply trustable to me because it means that he has done enough work to know where he is and where you are. And that's not a given, right? A lot of men don't have that grounding. So that feels deeply trustable, just that. And I love that languaging of, I thought I could lead us out of this, but it's not working. (laughs) So I need to bring someone in to help us, help us, help lead us somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to be fair, we had been in that spot for a few months and not to say that, that Jason wanted us to suffer, but sometimes you just don't know until you're trying to work through it and trying to work through it. And then you realize, you know, it's not working, but what I appreciated is it wasn't my idea. I wasn't like, we have to go to couples therapy or this relationship is over. And there's nothing wrong about making those ultimatums. Cause sometimes the relationship just needs extra work, but it was nice that to your point, he realized this isn't working. And I deeply love my wife and we're going to do whatever it takes to grow together through this, which includes someone else's perspective because we were just, you know, it wasn't pretty. (laughs) I can go next. I guess that's a pretty good segue to mine. So I would say that the number one thing to me that makes a man trustable is the depth to which he has done his own work and continues to do it. It has done it and is doing his work, his trauma work, his lineage work, his communication work. Um, I have witnessed repeatedly, I have left multiple relationships because the man wasn't doing his work. And I'm going to give an example of a moment that didn't feel trustable. I I think I mentioned this on another podcast, but I'm just going to run through it here. Um, 
I was, I was with a man and we were, uh, I was moving away. I was moving away from the area and we were kind of talking about what was going to happen a little bit. And I said that I had had an interview. I said, I'd have, a, I'd had a job interview and he just kind of was like, Hmm, he didn't ask me about it. He didn't, um, get curious. He didn't, it felt like he didn't really want to know. And my story was that he didn't really want me to leave. And so he didn't really want to know about what, how, how I was. And I felt really alone again. I just felt really alone. Like I'm open to talking about, you know, what's going to happen. And I want to know that you can handle my truth. And so, and because there were multiple circumstances like that with him, where he felt really closed to things, conversations and dialogue. And, and the sum of that felt untrustable to me. It felt like I can't trust you to actually tell you the truth because I feel like you don't want to hear it. And that doesn't make me want to be your partner, right? There's a connection between, you know, him doing his trauma work, which is when you do that, you become more open. There's a way that you become more open, more grounded, more trustable in your body, right? That the congruence, all of that stuff, it doesn't, it's not magical. It doesn't come from, <laughs> from nowhere. It's, it's hard work to get there. It's, it's hard work to become a congruent human being. It's really hard. It takes a lot of effort. And I think there, I have experienced several men who, for example, are addicts, right? They're alcoholics or they're addicted to weed and they would not classify themselves that way. They would say, yeah, I drink sometimes. Yeah. I smoke weed sometimes, but me dating them as their, as their partner for that period of time, I would say the primary way you regulate your nervous system is marijuana. The primary way it's the first thing you go to. You don't have a lot of outside resources. You're not in a men's group, right? All of these things that I'm saying to you all, I didn't say in that way to that man. It didn't feel like my place. It didn't feel like my place. And arguably it wasn't my place, but the sum total of those things made him not trustable to me. Cause I felt like I need to hide parts of myself and my truth about us because I don't trust you to handle it. I don't trust you that I don't trust that you won't get triggered. I think if I say certain things, you're going to get triggered and you're going to lash out at me. And I don't think I'm wrong. Like, I don't, I don't think I'm just afraid of that in an, in the, in a vacuum or because of my own trauma. I think that's actually true. <laughs> like I think there's a way that I'm, I'm pretty intuitive and I can feel what's available. What can I share? What are you going to kind of get triggered about? And so to me, it's deeply trustable when a man has done his work and is continuing to do his work, right? It's not like there's this magical point at which we were done. That's not really how it works. So I would say that's, that's my example of, of that not being trustable. And then an example of, of it being trustable is I was sharing, um, some resentment with a man I am seeing. And I felt like, um, there was a point in the conversation where I was having a really time, like hard time expressing myself, kind of crying, kind of getting it out. Like I've been nervous to say this, I've been scared to share this. And here's what I'm have held some resentment about. And I haven't shared it with you because I feel like I don't have the right to have this resentment. I shouldn't 
feel resentful about this. I shouldn't feel upset about this, but I do, (laughs) but I do. And I have, and so I'm telling you, and I'm kind of scared. And one of his responses was, I can take it. I can take it. I can take it. And it felt true. It didn't feel like he was saying, I can take it. It felt like I'm really here. I'm still here. I'm listening. I'm with you. You know, I hear you. And it wasn't like everything you're saying is true. Meaning, you know, it's hard to describe. It's like your emotional experience is valid. I, I hear your resentments and, and we'll maybe make some practical choices about how we do things, but I'm still here. I'm still with you. I'm holding all of this with you and I can take it. I'm not going to collapse and I'm not going to get defensive and I'm not going to go away. And for me, those are the three things that I have, I have witnessed in men that haven't done the work. They collapse, they get defensive or they go away. Sometimes I'll do all three, but that to me is the difference is that man showing up in that moment that way was not a fucking accident. He's done years of work to get to that place. That was not that man, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. It's like, you're not just born that way. (laughs) Like it takes a lot of work to become a grounded human being and a grounded man. So to me, it was a reflection of how much he has already done. And that is deeply trustable. It's like, wow, I can actually show up as all of me and you, and you've got me. That's, that's how I think, I think a lot of men want to be that guy and they think they can just be that guy when really it's like, you got to do like a lot of your own work to get there. It doesn't just happen. It's not just, you don't just want to be it. And then you are it. It takes work. I'm laughing because it makes me think of a guy being like, yeah, I'm just going to be a black belt. Like I'm a, I'm a black belt versus no dude, this takes years of study. (laughs) That's a great analogy. That's a great, a great fucking analogy. I can share though. I feel like it's um, quite far on the spectrum from, from your share, Mel. Um, so I was actually thinking about um, like what sort of establishes the seeds of trust early on. Um, and one of the things that I have always really appreciated, and I think this is true both for romantic relationships and relationships in general is when people assume the best of intentions, um, especially when getting to know you. Um, I I honestly can't think of one particular negative experience on this, but I remember that it it wasn't uncommon when I was dating. um, And I think this kind of goes with the, um, what's it called when the the whole thing, like negging, where like people are like making negative jokes about the women to hit on them or whatever. Um, where like, for example, you say what your job is and they make a joke about it, or, um, you know, you say, I don't know where you're from and they make some assumption about it. And I, and I remember, and it would, and it would sometimes be negative and, you know, you might laugh it off and joke and say like, oh no, that's not really what I do. Like I, you know, this is important to me or whatever. But I think that when you're getting to know somebody and they, they're able to assume the positive and assume the best in you. It just makes such a big difference in how you build your friendship and relationship. Um, so I think, yeah, I think, I think my, my current partner is, is, is a good example as well, where, um, actually it's kind of funny because our, our first date was on my last day of work and I was taking six months off to travel. And he later told me that he was a little bit like, 
uh-oh, you know, like, is this woman, you know, stable? Is she a slacker? And it's, it's, it's kind of funny because I'm kind of a workaholic. And so when I started working and we were in a relationship, it was sort of like, oh, this is not, this is, this is the opposite of my fears. But anyway, when I, when I told him about wanting to take time off and feeling burnt out and where I was going, like all, like none of his questions implied anything negative. And I was feeling like a little bit of a failure at the time, but all of his questions were very like uplifting and, and sort of um, not just, not just lacking assumption, but also hopeful. Like, this is going to be great for you. This is going to be wonderful for you. And so I think there's an optimism about it as well that I find really um, kind of inspirational. That's very sweet. I also, I don't know about you all, but I really like debriefing early days when you're in a relationship, like looking back, what were you thinking? How were you feeling? You know, cause there's things that were we're pacing. We're not sharing everything all the time, especially at the beginning. And that's appropriate. That's how it's supposed to be. Right. It would have been weird if he'd said, I'm concerned you might be a slacker. <laughs> it's like, that was not the time <laughs> to, to share that. You know, it's like, Oh, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see where this goes. I have some, some, you know, judgments or some concerns and I'm open to, to who this person actually is, but it's super fun to go back and then share those those stories because some of them are really entertaining yeah and that's partly why I mentioned that because if he was coming from a negative place if he was coming from a place of like assuming the worst he would have just bet he would have believed that assumption he would have been like she's a slacker I need somebody that's more responsible this is not gonna work um slight tangent but funny so he I also was his first tinder date ever and he deleted his profile after after we met because he was like this is it like she's she's it and uh I also think if he told me that early on I would have been like uh no that's too much that's way too far there's no way um but yeah in retrospect now looking back it's like oh that's so sweet (laughs) I think that also speaks to I don't know if discernment's the right word, but, you know, he was, he was pacing the relationship, right? He didn't overwhelm you with a bunch of promises. He felt it. He felt it. He felt the, he felt the pull. He felt the truth, which is probably why he deleted his profile, but he didn't go making a bunch of promises to you. He was still pacing the relationship well. And there's something, there's something hot about that. There's something hot about that. Just restraint, like holding holding space is, is sexy in the masculine. Yep. And it goes back to that romance novel example that you shared. I don't think I'd really put that together, but it's very true. Like oftentimes it's somebody's going through something, they're grieving their, their dead wife or their, you know, they're going through something serious and therefore they don't want to commit to the relationship. And it's, it, they, they do it. I, I feel like it's partly a way of building tension in terms of like, Oh, he's resisting this relationship as long as he can. But realistically, it's also about that them pacing them, taking the lead, them planning, them being thoughtful and explorative before they jump into something, which I think, yeah, is really powerful and really masculine. Who's left? Christina? Did I share my second? Um, the second one for me in terms of what makes a man trustable is being able to set clear boundaries. So one example, like when I'm thinking back through my relationships, um, I mean, I was with a 
with a man that was such a people pleaser. And so, you know, he was very well liked, but from the beginning, I mean, things got orchestrated around his mother's preferences and not mine, his mother's schedule and not mine. And I'm like, wait. And over the course of the relationship, I was the one setting all the boundaries with whoever, medical providers, institutions, um, other people, neighbors, and it really skewed the polarities huge. And I didn't feel safe. And that, and sometimes, I mean, my experience sometimes like guys can be, if they're, if they can't be clear with boundaries, they can go, you can get too rigid or too flexible. And then you're into the people pleasing and um, passive aggressiveness or super defensiveness. And the, um, most recent relationship I had, I still remember this very beautiful conversation we had that built, I remember thinking after he left, like, wow, I can really trust this man. He brought lunch. He set it out. I mean, he had an agenda at the time. I didn't know that, but we're eating and he um, let me know. And he didn't wait a long time. Like, he's like, yesterday, you hurt my feelings. And I'm like, this is really great because he's not building a resentment. It's like, this just happened. I want to take some time. We're going to discuss it over lunch is what I'd like to do. And, and um, owned his piece of why it touched some stuff in him. Like I'm aware I have these wounds. I'm aware I have this stuff and I have a boundary. Like, I mean, I, I tread on his heart and I felt bad. It's like, yeah, I shouldn't have said a or b and i really heard that and i really got that and i and just even the way he said it like he kept pointing at his heart like i feel this way and i feel this but he had a real clear boundary like i don't want i don't want to hear some things about your past and um and i don't want to hang on to resentments but it was a it was a real clear boundary and a allowed me to feel safe and it provided this container where I felt pretty held and I appreciated being held accountable in a way like hey I need to let you know this hurt my feelings but to be to do it in a really clear yeah again that word congruent way you know there's something really lovely about the clarity and the directness of that because you know, to your point, I think most of us in our families of origin did not witness that, right? We witnessed people being passive aggressive. So they would, you know, let's say he'd stopped texting you as frequently. He was kind of short in his responses for days. And you're kind of like, oh, did something happen? And you're now you're trying to figure it out. And you're like a sleuth and you're looking back and you're like, maybe it was this and maybe it was that shakes a lot of energy. He saved you and himself a lot of strife by saying, I'm bringing this up. This hurt my feelings. And here's why. Cause I, because I have this wounding, not, you know, you always criticize me. You always tell me I'm not good enough. You make me feel bad. It did. It wasn't that that wasn't what it was. It was my feelings were hurt and here's why. And here's what my request is. And that feels very mature. And to your point, I think for me, part of why I would trust someone like that is for exactly what I said of 
oh, I feel like maybe there's a chance that in this relationship, I won't have to be a detective all the fucking time. Like I won't have to constantly be trying to figure out if there's something wrong. Cause I've had multiple, many, I would say most of my relationships with men, I have, I have not received that kind of direct um, feedback. So I've always been guessing by, by their behavior or by what they say or don't say, or how they say it, trying to figure out if they're upset when they're upset instead of being able to trust. Oh my gosh, he's going to tell me. He's actually going to tell me that would be incredible. I've lost track of who's, who's gone. We, we've all gone. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm curious to hear, especially about that last piece from Amber and Violet, since I know you're both in long-term committed relationships. Do you feel like your man does that kind of brings things up that, that upset him has there been an arc he's learned to get better at that in your relationships? What has that looked like? Cause this feels like a big piece, especially in relationship of how do we deal with hurt feelings? I would say it's been an arc when Jason and I first started dating, I would have to draw him out a little bit more about his emotional experience. And it wasn't like anything big, but we started doing, and I don't remember where we got this from Susan Campbell or someone else where once a week we would just have our resentment clearing time and we would talk about things, but he would rarely have anything. So I'd be like, well, I have like these eight things that bothered me. You don't have anything that you think I've been doing wrong. Like, and I don't think of myself as a highly critical person, but I am a highly sensitive person. And, and then, you know, little by little, he might share, um, and oftentimes it was really silly, silly things. Like I want to be able to leave the blender on the counter. Why do you always put it away when I'm done with it? Cause we have very little counter space and I love a clean counter. So just like little things like that. Um, and at first I was annoyed that I had to draw him out. So I was like, yeah, I want you to draw me out. Like, I don't have to track your emotional experience, but Jason was more avoidant and I was more anxious when we first met for attachment style. So I understand that for him, it felt safer to be a little bit withdrawn. So I, I, you know, I understood that that was just part of the dynamic. And, um, I, I think I'm, I've learned to trust that he will always tell me maybe not as fast as I want. Cause I want him to tell me immediately and he feels safer telling me like a few days later or a week later, but I can trust he's not holding on to it for months. Um, the most recent thing that that happened was about a year ago, we were traveling with his family and I, ended up working more than he wanted me to. I didn't know because a lot of times when we hang out with his family, we both still do some work. We don't let all of our work go, but he had, he had completely cleared a schedule and I had three or four calls that were still on the books. Anyway, it wasn't until at the very end of the trip when I was upset about something else, I felt kind of excluded from some activities. He's like, well, you didn't clear your schedule and I wanted you to. And I was like, oh, okay. And then now the last time that we went home to see his family over Christmas, you know, about seven, eight months later, I made it very explicit with him. I was like, I completely cleared my calendar, except for this one call. Here's the time. How do you feel about that? Do you need me to cancel it? So my point in all these details is that he does tell me it has been a journey. I don't make any effort to draw him out anymore. Like I just trust that if he has something to share, he will share it with me. But part of the reason I don't have to make an effort is because he is sharing more with me. And then I think something I haven't been good about in the past is 
I have gotten defensive. I've been the one who's been like justifying my behavior. And so I've worked harder to be a little more um, responsive to his shares so that my story is that maybe he feels safer sharing with me, but you'd have to ask him about that. (laughs) Well, it's interesting too, because you intuitively used the word trust. I trust that he will tell me. And again, trust is built over time. It's built by, right. You, you trust him to tell you what's going on now because he's done that enough. It does. It's not just once or twice. It's repeated, repeated times of showing up a certain way that builds trust. And I think sometimes there's a desire to be trusted quickly when really it's like, yeah, it actually does take time to, to shift into that kind of trust. I, I want to um, just highlight that part about the structure of having a moment or having a, a weekly clearing resentments um, uh, structure, because I think that's the kind of thing that I wish was taught in schools. And I would like to see in relationship ed, I would like there to be relationship ed, but that's a pretty practical thing that you can put into practice as a couple. And I'm curious who brought that into the couple bubble and um, how long had you been together when you started doing it? Cause I imagine it's kind of an edgy practice. Yeah, I think we both brought it in. I mean, we had read Stan Tatkin's Wired for Love, which is great, you know, about the couple bubble and attachment styles and talking to your partner first before you vent to friends. So I think that informed it. But we listened to that together before we were even exclusive. So we listened to that like at two, two and a half months in. And then we had read Susan Campbell. She has a lot of books, Getting Real, Truth and Dating, and a bunch of other things. So I think we started it around, I don't know, maybe five or six months into dating. And then we don't do it regularly now because we just have this code word. Hey, can I share a resentment with you? And the other person just knows like, okay, something's coming up. So we don't have that set time anymore. Although we do have a weekly date night where we do relational practices. So if there was something that had been built up, we could do that. But it just seems to come out now whenever either of us is feeling like we've had enough of something. Um, But I would say we intentionally practiced it once a week for probably the first, you know, starting at six months and then probably for another two years into our relationship. And it just got shorter and shorter each time. And it wasn't probably every week, but it was a, it was a more consistent practice for like the first two, two years or so. Love it. Um, I, I relate a lot to, to what Violet shared, but I think that um, I'm kind of in earlier stages of that where uh, one, I'm still doing drawing out. Um, and two, I do think that there's um, yeah, there's more distance than I, I would prefer, just as you said, like, I, I would love if it's like immediate, you know, this bothered me, this hurt me. Um, and, and I have to respect that, like, everybody's not the same, and therefore processing time and, and all that can differ. Um, I think for me, what makes me feel like slightly less trusting in that scenario is I worry that something will happen and I won't know, and I won't be able to correct my behavior, I won't be able to address it. And, and therefore there's a little bit of a question mark of like, what if I have done something, you know, hurtful or wrong and I'm not aware of it because he's still processing. Um, and so I think that's something that we can definitely, you know, work on and, and improve our communication around. I also find that I tend to be like somebody that like, when I present something, it's a fully baked idea. 
Um, whereas that's not necessarily the case for him. So for example, it might be like, Hey, this bothered me, but he hasn't necessarily formulated the why yet. Like not sure why this hurt me or not sure why. And that's part of the discussion for him. Whereas for me, it's this, it's very much, this is what happened. This is why it hurt me. This is the action and response I would like to see. Um, so I do think we're still sort of finding the balance between those two communication styles. And, and when I present a fully baked idea like that, and he either, you know, questions it or is like, are you sure about that or whatever? I'm like, yes, of course I'm sure because it's, I've already done all that, you know, everything in my head to get there. Um, I do, I, I will say I, I'm laughing a little at the idea of um, you know, a code word or, or, having particular space for it because it reminds me a lot of um of uh feedback <laughs> when you're you know a manager of a team and you talk about having regular space for feedback that's that's what it reminds me of and, and I and I'm a big proponent of that right I always tell people like feedback is like a muscle that you have to get better at especially giving critical feedback giving praise is one thing um but like if you allow space for it so for example I have recurring one-to-ones with my team members and the first bullet on every one-to-one is feedback for each other um and so I think that's one of those things that like this is a muscle too, right? Sharing it, allowing space for it, making time for it. Um, I think as you said, Mel, like if we could teach that, that's huge. Yeah. When I was a manager, I remember I would sit down with my employee monthly and do, um, each person would come with three things I'm enjoying about working with you, three things I would like more of. And I like that phrasing three things I like, I would like more of. Sometimes it's, I'd like less of this. That's fine. But just something and you didn't have to fill out all three, but it was sort of like a space to do clearing a space to, to each share. And I remember thinking we should do this in couples. Like, why don't we do things like this? This actually makes a lot of sense and our lives would be better if we, (laughs) we had structures. Like it actually is totally illogical that in some of our most intimate relationships, we aren't taught and we don't tend to do structures that we know work for relationship, not necessarily romantic, but like, why don't we do that? It's actually not very logical. (laughs) And Christine, I'm wondering if you have anything to add to this part of the discussion. It reminds me of um, something I heard from Jason Gaddis, who's been a guest on your show, that if you want to be in a relationship, you have to be, get really good at repair. And that's the piece I'm hearing you guys talk about. Um, you know, getting really good at repair because we are going to step on toes. We're human. I'm, I mean, I'm going to betray somebody. Somebody's going to betray me. We're going to break trust. We're going to feel, um, I mean, I, I don't expect to be in a relationship where I don't feel my trust ones come up or that their stuff is going to come up, but being able to, um, to repair that and make space to have those, to be seen and heard and have, yeah, it it takes, it takes self-awareness and it takes a lot of self-awareness and a real commitment to work on oneself to get to that place where you can do that with somebody else. How can you share? How can you, I mean, if you don't, if you're not aware of what your stuff is, there's, you're just going to be in this place of like, I don't know why I did that. I don't know. I just like, I did this and I don't even know why, like, I'm sorry it hurt you. I'm sorry it ended this way. Or I'm sorry. It's like, it'll, it'll just be, you know, it's like, it's not going to leave your partner with a sense of like, oh, okay. 
this feels, there's a groundingness, I think, when you're really good at repair. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I want to praise you, both you and Violet for the stories you told, you know, the, the lunch story, it sounds like you, you didn't get defensive, right? He shared his truth, which is this hurt my feelings. I, I, I would like you to not see, say these things or share these things that would feel good to me. And you really showed up for that. You really showed up for that. You didn't push back and say, well, I only said that because that, I don't right. You, you, you slowed down. You were like, I hear that. That makes sense. Thanks for letting me know. That is huge. And Violet, same thing with the, there was a generosity of spirit around slowing down in that moment when he said, well, you didn't clear your calendar. And even maybe if you felt like, well, you didn't tell me to clear my calendar, you slowed down enough to say, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that was that important to you. And then incorporating that, right. Incorporating that, that generosity of spirit of proactively saying, you know, the next holiday I cleared my calendar except for this one call. And I'm wondering how that feels for you. And if I should move it, there's such a generosity of spirit to that and, and love. I, I hear love in both of those, right. Those moments of repair when someone expresses, you know, how we show up in those moments is a big deal. And, and people aren't always going to be perfect in those moments, right? It wasn't necessarily a perfect response on, on Jason's part to say, well, you didn't clear your calendar. So we, we didn't include you in the game because you didn't clear your calendar. Right? That's not the most necessarily um, sitting down to lunch and, and sort of saying, Hey, this thing came up, da, 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 da. but you still responded with love, right? We're, we're not always going to get it perfect. And I, I feel like that about myself. Sometimes I'll, something will come out of my mouth in a, in a tone, in a resentful tone. And I'm like, Oh shit. Apparently I feel some kind of way about that. I feel bad about <laughs> not having that be more held. And the people that respond to me with love in that moment, I feel, I feel really loved by, cause I'm like, I was not that mature about how that came out. I didn't, I didn't do that very well. That was not skillful on my part. And you still responded with love. That's, that's, that's hugely generous in my opinion. I just love that idea of like, oops, didn't know I had a tone about that. Like that should be a meme of some sort. Um, I also want to share something that just came to me as we were talking, which I think has helped with the trust that women can do. You know, if you're listening to this and you have a female partner, or if you're a female partner listening to this, um, for your own educational purposes or on behalf of your man, um, I've started asking Jason quite regularly, I'd say at least once a month, is there any flavor of the feminine that you've been craving that I haven't been giving to you? Because it feels like an offering where I can expand my range and play more and offer more to him and try on different energies because I feel like sometimes we get resentful of the masculine or I get resentful of the masculine when he's not taking care of things, when he's not being responsible, when he's not whatever, picking up his stuff around the house. and I'm sure he gets resentful or heavy or bogged down when I'm not bringing my full self to him. So that's just like one little practice that has really helped. And and an extension of that is I do like kind of sexy erotic dance for him. Sometimes we don't have a pole at our house, but we just, you know, have a living room and a couch and a chair, but I will say, can you pick my music for me? Like pick, pick two or three songs you want me to dance to on Saturday. And then he gets to set the tone for my emotional and erotic expression. So that's just one little, little thing that we do. 
That is so hot. I mean, there's something really hot about that. And I also really like, again, the generosity of openness around flavors of the feminine. Like instead of it being framed as I'm not enough for you, right? It's acknowledging there's lots of flavors of the feminine. What, you know, what would feel good for you? There's an openness of spirit about that. Cause I know for me, I would feel a little afraid of like, oh, what's he going to say? Like, <laughs> you know, is it going to be something I can do? And I think there's a, there's a vulnerability to that, that, that does feel very much like a sacred offering, a sacred offering from the feminine that, that creates connection. Yeah. So, um, yeah, as we start to wrap here, is there anything else that hasn't been said that you want to speak into the space about what makes a man trustable to you? I know I've been talking a lot, but I just have to share one other thing, which is one of the reasons I really was attracted to Jason is the night that we met, everyone at the event was going out for a drink afterwards. And he looked at his watch and said, oh, it's 1030 and I can still make it home to meditate today because I haven't done my practice this morning. And I was partly pissed off and partly so attracted. So there's something about commitment to your own personal practice as a man. And it's, it's an extension of integrity that I find so sexy. It's part of like being on purpose and being committed to your own depth and your own practice. And so if you're a man listening to this and you don't have a men's group or a committed practice, a breathwork practice an embodiment practice, like I know Jason and Mel teach people about these things and there's lots of other resources out there, but a woman can tell when you're committed to things in your life. And I think it makes you more trustable. And I think it also shows that you're willing to be in commitment, like committing, I know is a big deal. And I'm not trying to force a man to be in commitment, but I, I notice when a man is committed to the things that he values. And when he just says that he is, but then kind of slacks on his commitments. I agree. And I would add to that. I find it quite trustable when a man takes good care of himself. I don't find it trustable when a man, you know, stays up too late because he didn't set a boundary with a friend and then he's sleep deprived and that affects his next day or he's not, he doesn't eat when he knows he needs to eat because again, didn't set a boundary, right? Boundaries and self-care to me go very hand in hand. And I find it very trustable when a man has good self-care practices, he takes care of himself. And I find it very unattractive when a man doesn't take good care of himself. It's, it's, it's striking difference. It, I, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to add in, we've kind of already said it, but yeah, it is very hot and sexy when a man works on his own personal growth. And if, especially if he sees patterns in himself, it's like, I mean, I work with men and they're in therapy. They're like, they're calling and calling. And it's like, I want to work on this. I want to work on this. I'm showing up for myself. I'm showing up for life. I'm showing up for my future relationships or this relationship because, um, yeah, I'm, I, I want to figure out what the fuck is going on with myself, you know? And so it's super, it, that's a man that's trustable compared to a man that acknowledges or sees that there are patterns, but it's like, well, yeah, I'll get to it someday. Yeah. I'm too lazy to do it. <laughs> and I keep doing the thing <laughs> that I do and cause the harm that I cause. And I'm not willing to actually, yeah. Interrupt the pa- the patterns that are clearly not serving. I yeah. Wholeheartedly agree. There's something really brave. There's something brave about doing the work. It's brave. It's vulnerable. It's scary. It's hard. 
And that's, I think, part of why it's so sexy when a man is doing the work. Because to me, it's like, oh, you are the warrior. You are the modern warrior. You are willing to go into the dark places and do the hard quest. That's hot versus I don't really want to look at my stuff. I'm just coasting. It's not like, that's not trustable. It's deeply trustable when a man is willing to do the work because I, I'm like, you're brave. You are the brave one. Hey guys, I mentioned my sex research a few times during this episode and just wanted to remind you that I actually have a streaming course available based on my sex research called Please Her in Bed, A Course for Men Designed by Women. You can find that on my website, melaniecurtain.com under courses. And if you use promo code DEARMEN, that's all one word, DEARMEN, you will get the course dropped from $97 to $69. 